0: You know, it's interesting that over the 21 years of Grace's life, we have sent literally dozens and dozens and dozens of mission teams uh, all over the world, and it's been awesome, the things that God has allowed this church to participate in. But uh, it occurred to us that in in over 21 years, in sending all these teams, we had never, ever, even once, gone on a missions trip, and uh, so an opportunity came in Croatia for us to come and work with leaders there in three different regions across that wonderful country. And uh, so for the last two weeks, we've been doing that. We've been doing a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching, a lot of consulting with leaders, and really seeing uh, what the culture is like and what God is doing in Croatia. Two Sundays ago, uh, I preached in the capital city of Zagreb, which boasts about a million citizens, at a church there that is really carrying the gospel to that city. And uh, then last Sunday, I preached in, as far as we can tell, what is the largest evangelical church in all of Croatia. And guess how many people they average? Probably about 200 people. And that's the largest evangelical church that we can find in all Of the country. This is hard spiritual soil. It's a place where uh, God's Word is faithfully being lived and proclaimed by the wonderful Christians there. But there are literally probably only 4,000 or so uh, sort of Bible-oriented Christians that can be identified in that whole country. You may also know that just 20 years ago, Croatia was torn by an ugly, ugly war that involved concentration camps and ethnic cleansing and and things like that. Uh, In fact, one city we visited called Vukovar, uh, which is near the Serbian border, uh, it has the dubious distinction of being the city where there was more bombardment, more artillery and aircraft missiles and other explosives detonated in Vukovar than any other single place. 30,000 people lost their lives there. Uh, before that city uh, succumbed to Serbian occupation. So you can imagine a lot of people are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorders and a lot of bitterness and a lot of uh, issues related to forgiveness and, and so on. Uh, it's a place where there's a desperate need. But God is doing wonderful things. We're, we're glad that we could go and invest in these last two weeks but we're also very, very glad to be home. I'm not going to talk any more about that today, I don't think. But, but you'll probably hear a few stories in, in the coming weeks about that. But here's here's one thing that surprised Debbie and me as we ministered to people in three different regions of the country. We got into so many conversations about parenting. Uh, started on the first day or two in Zagreb where young parents wanted to know things about parenting. And here's what we discovered. There's some things about parenting that are universal. I mean, it doesn't matter where you go, uh, parent. parenting is not for cow- cowards. And so we had many discussions with moms and dads about uh, principles of parenting and and what to do in certain situations and all that kind of stuff. And, and so we found it very interesting that parents in Croatia and everywhere I've ever gone, parents are concerned about this issue of how, how can I raise children in the ways of God? How can I raise them to grow up and follow God faithfully? Well, there's a very interesting verse that many of you may be familiar with. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, it goes something like this. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not turn from it. Now, I always feel the need whenever I read that verse, because it's been horribly misunderstood, to point out to people that a proverb is not a promise. Because so many people mistake that, and they, and they begin to take some of the proverbs, which are never meant to be universal, comprehensive true, you know, promises, And they take them as that. Now, hear me. The Bible has many promises, and praise be to God for that. And you should hang on to the promises of God in his word. Amen? I hope you understand that. I hope we're all on the same page with that. But a proverb is not meant to be a promise. What is a proverb? A proverb is a statement about how life generally works. And so Proverbs 22, verse 6 should be an incredible encouragement to every parent. And it says basically this. While God is not going to violate the will of your child, if you just punch the right buttons, God's not going to force them to follow Christ and be a wonderful Christian. Here's the truth of the matter. While God's not going to violate their will in that kind of way, What we invest in our children pays enormous dividends. And that ought to encourage every single mom and dad listening to me today and everyone else who invests in children. Because today's message is not just for parents. It's for coaches and teachers and administrators and grandparents and everyone who has some kind of investment in the lives of younger people who are coming along. So, I want us to take a journey together. I invite you to jot some notes, if you will. And I want us to look at three biblical principles, three critical principles regarding this whole nurturing of children idea, all right? So, let's take that journey together. And anytime you talk about parenting, you want to do it with humility, right? Because parenting is not for cowards, it's not easy. And uh, if someone thinks they've got the corner on this, they're probably greatly mistaken. So I don't speak as an expert today at all. Uh, I I speak as a parent uh, and as a husband, and uh, God has given Debbie and me a wonderful journey with parenting. And contrary to some of the dire warnings we received early on, we actually found parenting to be a real kick. We had fun as parents. It was a great joy. Oh, there were moments... But we found it to be an enormous blessing. And I, I, I think that can be true of, of just about any family. The first principle I want us to consider is this, the inherent sinfulness of humanity. Now here's why that principle is critical. Because for the last decades, at least here in America, we've been hearing that the basic nature of humanity is that we are basically good that we're really good, that we're evolving, and we're getting better and better. And so someone who buys that philosophy and is asked, well, why do teenagers engage in violence? Why are are young people sometimes drawn to be very cruel to their classmates and say awful things and, and beat each other up? Well, the answer would be it's just the nature of tooth and claw we're just reverting back to our evolutionary instincts of survival. And so what we need to do is just kind of get over that and push on through to our positive evolutionary future. Well, the Bible has a very different response to why we often do things that aren't good. It says that there's something inherently flawed at the core. And if you have a little worm in the core of an apple eating away at that apple, that apple may look fabulous on the outside for a while, but it's rotten at the core. And the Bible says that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Would you consider these two verses? I think they may be in your notes as well. Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came. He talked about this issue of of what are we like in our heart. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So there's an inherent deceitfulness in the heart of every child, and we need to be aware of that as parents. But another verse is Romans 7, verse 18, where Paul writes, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I I cannot carry it out. Again, Paul is speaking to this very issue of, of what are we like? Are we basically good or are we basically kind of flawed and bent toward evil? And Paul says the latter is true. There's an inherent sin nature in every single one of us. Several years ago, the Minnesota Crime Commission made a very interesting Report. They released this report. Now, I want to warn you, this is going to sound a little harsh to some of you, but please listen to what they said. Every baby starts life as a little savage. Isn't that encouraging, parents? He's completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. Deny these and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which could be murderous were he not so helpless. This means, the Crime Commission goes on to report, that all children, not just certain children, all children are born delinquent. And if permitted to continue in the self-centered world of infancy, given free rein to his impulsive actions, every child would grow up to be a criminal. Now, I know people today in this world, and I know that to many of you, that sounds way too harsh. But Dr. Albert Siegel said some time ago in the Stanford Observer, and I quote, when it comes to rearing children, every society is only 20 years away from barbarism. 20 years is all we have to accomplish the task of civilizing infants who are born into our midst each Mothers and dads, I would say to you first of all, if you want to be a wise parent, if you really want to do this job well and do all you can do to avoid rebellion in your teenage children, you need to understand that just as important as affirming their self-esteem and building them up for their good qualities, you need to also understand that there needs to be a curbing, curbing of their sinful nature. Now, I feel a little weird speaking to this issue. I, I, I have one teenager left. We have two children. Our daughter Allie is 21 now, so she's through the teenage years. And our son Chase is 19. He'll be out of the teenage years in just a few months. And uh, so you know, uh, I'm not really in the midst of that much anymore. But I remember when our teens were early in their teen years and in their mid-teens, and when they would occasionally ask to go somewhere that there was going to be no adult supervision or spend the night with some family that maybe we didn't know or didn't know well what their values were or whatever, they would ask us if they could do that. And if we said no, our teenagers would look at us and look kind of disappointed and hurt and go, why? Why, Mom and Dad, why? Don't you trust us? your kids ever ask you that? Can I see a show of hands? Don't you trust us? Don't you trust me? Now, I don't know how you answered that, and I'm sure you have a good, brilliant answer to that, but I want to tell you how I answered that question in those years. I looked them in the face with a smile, and I said, no, I don't trust you. And they would usually look hurt and say, why? Why don't you trust us? And here would be my standard answer. I don't trust you because you have a depraved, sinful nature that you inherited from your mother. (laughs) and, And you just don't need that much temptation in front of you. And obviously, I was being humorous, and I was trying to lessen the intensity of the conversation. But the basic answer was true. We have a sinful nature. And left to ourselves, we are capable of all kinds of things. Parents, you need to begin right there. You need to understand the sinfulness of our human nature. There's a second principle I think that is very critical, and I want us to consider that for a while right now, and that is the absolute necessity of respect. Now just about everybody today, believers and unbelievers, would agree that respect is an important thing. In the schools, in all kinds of organizations, we're taught to respect one another. So let's be very clear, that is an awesome, awesome thing. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you right now that one of your major goals as a parent is to instill an appropriate sense of respect in your children. And that is quite a task. And the reason that's a great task today is because you're kind of going against the grain when you do that, right? T-shirts say, no fear. T-shirts say, question authority. All over the talk shows and all the shows on TV, teenagers are kind of encouraged not to respect authority, right? Now, let's be honest. In some cases, they have a reason not to respect authority. Why? Because authority figures have let them down, and that's just the truth. Let's be real about it from the scandals in the Catholic Church to moral failures in the Protestant Church to debacles with leaders in schools to presidential moral failures. I mean, everywhere they look, authority figures are failing them, right? And so why would they respect authority? So it's an uphill battle. It's a real Challenge, But I'm going to suggest to you that if your child doesn't respect you in some genuine way, they're probably going to struggle loving you as well. It's quite a statement, but I'm going to stand by that. If they don't respect you in some genuine way, they're probably going to struggle with their love for you as well. So I'm going to suggest that... There are several ways we need to build this respect. First, teach your child to respect God. It all begins right there. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. We need to respect God as our creator. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. If a child grows up and doesn't have a basic respect for God, the divine, it's going to be very hard for them to restrain all kinds of impulses when there seems to be no other accountability, no other authority around. When John Quincy Adams was about to leave the home and go to France, this country that was going through the French Revolution and known as a liberalized kind of country, he was going to go there with his father, but his mother Abigail was very concerned, and she had a talk with her son. She said to her son, John Quincy Adams, who later became president of the U.S., He said, "I want, she said, I want you to remember, son, that God Almighty sees everything you do. And she was just sharing honestly from her heart because she was concerned that her son remember what they had taught him, to respect God Almighty. Second, I would suggest you teach your child to respect you as a parent. Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2 reads like this, "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise.'" Are you teaching your children to basically respect you? 1 Timothy chapter 3 says the leader (coughs) in the local church is to see that his children obey him with proper respect. Now here's why it's important that your children learn to respect you. Because their first encounter with authority is their encounter with you. Before they learn to respect government authorities, police, school teachers, other important people in their lives, they first need to respect you as the parent. And that's why I would suggest to you, parents, that you try to instill in your young children first-time obedience. That was one of the principles that Debbie and I really went after with a passion in our children. We didn't want them to obey on the third or fourth time we ask. We wanted them to obey the very first time we ask. So, Mom, let me get personal here for a minute. And again, I, I share this with huge sensitivity. I realize there, there's probably more guilt per square inch with parenting than any other area. So my desire here is not to create more guilt, but simply to try to speak truth and uh, with compassion. Mom, if you say to your toddler, okay, it's time to pick up your toys, time to go to bed. Three minutes later, you look, child hasn't moved. You say again a little bit louder this time, I I said it's time to go to bed, pick up your toys. You look back a little later, he still hasn't done a thing. And then this time, you say, all right, I said it's time to begin to pick up your toys, got to go to bed. You look a bit later, he's not moved. And finally, in anger, you begin to walk toward him into the room, and finally he gets up, and you help him pick up the toys while you mumble about how frustrated you are. You have just taught your child that the line of action is when you walk into the room. You've just taught your child that you don't really have to listen to what I say, but when I walk into the room, that's when you really need to move, and even then, everything's gonna go well with me as long as I cooperate. I don't think you wanna be a threatening, complaining parent like that, where your words don't mean a thing to your children make sure you engender in them first-time obedience. That means, parents, you need to appropriately use the leverage you have for accountability. And whether you choose for that to be taking away a a snack before bed or whether it's a a spanking or whether it's losing a privilege or something like that, you need to use that God-given leverage as uh, appropriately in the parenting relationship. And why is this important? Because God wants us to obey him first time. He wants us to be so sensitized to his will for us that we hear even a whisper when God gives us instruction and guidance in our lives. So parents, go for first time obedience. I heard about a mother who finally put her uh, children to bed And uh, she had just about had it. She was so exhausted. So she put on some old sweatpants and an old blouse, and she was just going to try to relax. And she took a shower, put her hair in a towel, and began to apply cold cream on her face when she heard her children just being rambunctious in, in their bedroom. And so she went and said, I told you to go to bed. I want you to be quiet. No more talking. And she just kind of let him have it and then stormed out of the room. And as she closed the door, she heard her three-year-old with a trembling voice go, Who is that? We need to try to instill some appropriate respect in our children. Proverbs 29:15. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Third, I would say teach your child to respect government authorities. Listen to this passage from Romans 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. I would urge you to teach your children to respect police personnel, to respect teachers in the school, to respect people in authority, and try to instill in them the idea, look, they're here for our good. Try to teach them about the role that these leaders and these people play in keeping society running smoothly and orderly. My parents had a rule when I was growing up that if I got disciplined at school, I got disciplined when I got home. Uh, My parents had a rule that if I got in trouble at school with administrators or teachers, I was in trouble when I got home. Now, here's what's interesting about that. You see, they were willing to give deference to these authority figures, these teachers. They weren't so naive as to think that teachers were flawless people. They weren't so naive to think that administrators in a school never make a mistake or have a bad attitude or, or have a wrong judgment. Oh, they knew better. But they wanted to try to instill in me a respect for authority. And so I would urge you, I would urge you to do that. I was taught growing up to answer older people, to uh, to. to Answer them with politeness and with respect. And so that brings me to the fourth thing, teach your child to respect adults, to not interrupt them, to not make fun of them, to not run around elderly people where they might be afraid or might fall or trip or something. I I was taught to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. I was taught that if an older person walked into the room and I was sitting down, uh, I, I should stand up in their presence. Isn't that weird? I think that's kind of cool. I'd like to see that kind of respect in young people today, for the elderly, for those who have wisdom and gray hair. Uh, th- when you see a society where that kind of respect is lost, you see a society that's beginning to unravel at the core. First Peter, chapter two, sums it up like this when it simply says, "Show proper respect." To everyone. So parents, that's one of our big responsibilities, to understand the nature of our child, but also to instill in them proper respect. But I want to wrap up today by talking about a third critical principle, and that is the ongoing responsibility of parenthood. Now, as I've observed and talked with, and no exaggeration, literally hundreds of parents through the years, here, here's one of the conclusions I've come to. I believe that many parents struggle in the teenage years because they simply give up a little too soon. You go to a t-ball game when a child is six or seven years old. What do you see? You see parents there, grandparents there, uncles, aunts. I mean, the whole family's there with video cameras taking these precious moments. You show up, Later, when that child is 15 at a Babe Ruth game, not quite as many parents around, not quite as many family members. I believe a lot of parents kind of disengage a little too early. Now, I understand that. I understand that. I get it. I know it's a hassle to be a parent. I know when you're 11-year-old, when you say no, he whines and complains and wants to challenge every decision you make. I know it's tough to hang in there. It's easier, isn't it? Parents, isn't it easier just to say yes and turn your head and not have to go through the hassle of all that? When your 14-year-old wants to go to the mall and be able to just go anywhere, do anything in the mall, no supervision, no accountability, it's a lot easier just to say yes and get them out of your hair, right? Just look the other way and hope for the best. I get it. I get it. Parenting can really be a hassle. When your 16-year-old is beginning to kind of uh, get in your face and challenge you, I understand it's a lot easier just to acquiesce and say, whatever, whatever. Don't do it. Don't do it. A lot of parents give up too soon and begin to disengage. So Christian mom and dad, I want to say to you that you're responsible for your child until they leave your home and are completely financially independent. Now we're going to look at a a few verses right now from the Old Testament. And before we read this, I I, want to say to you, this is no longer valid for Christians today. So don't anybody freak out, all right? This is one of those many civil laws that you'll find in the Old Testament that was binding. It was something that the Jewish people were supposed to be guided by. Okay? But the civil laws and the ceremonial laws are no longer valid for us today, while the moral laws are very valid for us today. So let's look at these verses from Deuteronomy 21. It says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, get a load of this. This is is wild. His father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a profligate and a drunkard. And then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Does anybody have a heart attack right now or anything? Okay? Don't freak out. We don't have one recorded instance of that ever being carried out. But I'll guarantee you it was threatened a lot. I'll guarantee you (laughs) it was threatened. What I want you to see through that is that no matter how rebellious the child got, the parents were still responsible. They were to stay engaged. They were to have a meaningful relationship. And parents, I guess I want to say to you most of all that in spite of what your teenager may say, they crave a relationship with you. And all the latest research that I've read from Christian Smith and others, Christian Smith is an amazing researcher on this topic who teaches at Notre Dame University. And he says that just when teenagers need the engagement of the parents most, most parents are trying to distance themselves and check out and say, well, they're, they're becoming a young adult now. They're on their own. They don't need me anymore. Christian Smith and many other researchers said just the opposite is true. No matter what they say or how cool they may act toward you, the truth is they need your wise counsel right now probably more than they ever have. So I urge you, continue to build a relationship with your children. You know, Debbie and I in parenting have tried to work as a team And we've tried to always be on the same page with that, and I think that's one of the keys. And and today, as I said, we have a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old that, by God's grace, are walking with God, they love God, they love his church, and that was one of our goals. Our highest goal was that they would have a relationship with Christ and that they would not only love God, but that they would actually love his church because we'd heard of so many ministry couples where that was not the case with their children. So by God's grace, we're happy to say today that they do, and we're just pleased with the wise decisions that they're making as young adults. But because of their age, when people look at at Allie and Chase, increasingly now. We're getting young parents walk up up to us and go, how can I get that? Can can you just tell me? Because, Ben, we're finding out this parenting thing is not easy. We're kind of new at this. But we're watching you. How can we get that product right there? Can you tell us? And after we try to make a lot of disclaimers, say, well, parenting is not a science. Two plus two does not equal four always in parenting. Parenting is not a science. It's more of a dance. It's more of an art. Uh, uh, Proverbs 22.6 is not a promise. It's a proverb. Don't forget that. God's not going to violate your child's free will. And I usually say some of the most godly parents I know have rebellious children, and some of the most ungodly parents I know Have some amazingly godly children. What gives? But generally speaking, what you invest in them and how you do it is going to pay rich dividends back. That's what that proverb is saying. So that should encourage you as a parent. And after we've made all kinds of disclaimers like that, I usually will add this. I'll say in our parenting, we had a secret weapon. Her name was Debbie. And our teenage kids would come to us with a problem and I'd quickly listen to the problem as is my way and I'd sum it up real quick and I'd come to a quick conclusion and I'd go, well, here's what you ought to do. And I'd go watch the basketball game or go read the Bible or go read a book. But the truth is that one of the reasons our children are walking with God today is because an hour later... Still up in their rooms would be Debbie sitting on the bedside with them, weeping with them, continuing the dialogue, continuing to work this thing through and try to come to some conclusions with them. Josh McDowell popularized a statement years ago that is gold. Parents, and here's what it says. Rules without a relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without a relationship lead to your rebellion. Don't disengage too soon. But the opposite is also true. Relationship without rules leads to rebellion as well. And somewhere in the mystery and the dance of parenting, somewhere that relationship with appropriate accountability and rules have to come together in a good alchemy and a good rhythm. And boy, it can issue in some amazing things for God. I urge you to stay involved in the lives of your kids. Some of you are sitting here listening to this going, but Pastor Rex, I think it's too late for me. What should I do if if it seems too late? Well, as we wrap up, I just want to suggest very humbly some suggestions to you of things that you might consider doing. uh, If you're going, look, my, my teenager is well along in years and and, man, I, I haven't done any of this stuff, or maybe I wasn't a Christian all those years, or, or maybe I missed the parenting class. We all did, didn't we? Uh, I never got that, the class, really. And I, I thank God for those who are helping parents be better parents. That, that's, in my opinion, one of the most needed things in America today is some kind of honest, realistic, genuine, balanced training on parenting. That's one of the most needed things. But I would suggest just a few things to you if you're sitting here going, look, it seems like it's too late. I would first of all encourage you to ask God for wisdom. You know, James 1.5 gives a promise that if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it. Ask him for wisdom of what you can do in your unique situation. Secondly, I'd suggest that you just humbly sit down with your teenager. If you've just blown it and done all kinds of things wrong, I'd, sit down, I'd suggest you sit down and repent. That's right. Humbly look your teenager in the eye and say, I just want to repent and say I'm sorry to you. I've been way too lenient here. I've been ridiculously too strict here. I have not made wise decisions every time, and I want you to know I am so sorry for that. And third, I would suggest you announce to them, after you've asked for their forgiveness, you announce to them it's a new day in this house, that you're going to be the leader God designed you to be, and you're going to take that responsibility seriously. And then fourth, I would just humbly suggest that you make some guidelines along with what the appropriate consequences are going to be if those guidelines are broken. You say, well, pastor, should I involve the kids in making the guidelines and what the consequence? Well, maybe. that Gary Smalley and other uh, authors say that's a great idea so they have more ownership of the process and they they get to pick what some of the penalties or consequences are going to be. And you may be surprised. They may come up with stiffer penalties than you do. But you need to decide what those are. You need to be crystal clear about the guidelines and the consequences if they're broken. And finally, I would suggest that you courageously go forward and consistently follow those principles that you established. There is probably no trait more important in parenting than consistency. If you're consistent, eventually your children are going to respect that. It goes a long way in the parenting process. On this Father's Day weekend, I just want to say not only to fathers but to to moms as well that probably one of the greatest crises in our country is fatherlessness and just desperate wisdom needed in parenting. I would ask you to kind of draw a proverbial line in the sand today in your own family and say from here on we're going to seek God's wisdom. We're going to try to do this God's way and we're going to seek to bring him glory in our family. Father, I ask that you would help us because there's so many families listening today, so many moms and dads, and they're feeling a truckload of guilt. They're feeling frustrated. They're feeling like, wow, how can I get wisdom on this? How can I know where to turn and what to do? Lord, I pray today would be a day of encouragement, that you would send them away from the service today, greatly encouraged as a parent, and knowing there are answers, and there can be a better future as they look to you and Father, I pray for all those that are hurting right now because the family is in chaos. And I pray, O oh God, that your grace would be lavished on these families and that you would show them your amazing love for them. And they, these would be days of rebuilding, days where there'd be healing, days where relationships would be mended. Father, we pray all of these things and ask for your guidance in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.